All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. And that's where we'll be staying today. That's where we're, yeah, I, I like that about the way we preach. We turn to a passage of Scripture, and you guys know where we're going to be at the start. You know we're going to be in the middle. You know we're going to be at the end. We're going to be in one passage of Scripture. So I ask you to turn to Matthew 14. You can put your bookmark there, and you can uh, settle in. Matthew 14, and we're looking today at one of the great events. And I'm excited about this. I sent Brandon a text earlier this week and said, I am excited about this Sunday morning sermon. It, it, it's a great passage. It's one of the great events in the life of Jesus. I'll say it's one of the most famous miracles that he performs. And it it is because out of all the miracles that he performed, and there's so many, there's innumerable amounts of of, uh, of miracles that he performed, there's only one that is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is it. This is the one that that all four Gospel writers said, you know what, we need to include that one in, in our Gospel. So it's, a, it's one of the most famous miracles that he performs. It is the feeding of 5,000. And you guys know this one. But I want you to see not just a story. You guys know me. We know the story. I handed the picture out for the kids today. They know the story. We all know what Jesus does. But I want you to see a little bit deeper into why this story is so important and why it's in all four Gospels and why we need to hear it today. Because in this story, we see Jesus, and we need to see Jesus, but we see him as the all-sufficient Savior. That's what this story teaches us today and, and what it shows us. And here's the main point. If you get anything, get this. If you're kids and you're writing it down, write this down. That Jesus is sufficient to meet every single need in your life. And I mean it this way. As I look around, I would love to be able to go one by one to every single one of you and say, He's sufficient to meet your need and your need. And, and whatever that need is, whether it's big or whether it's small, he, he is sufficient to meet every single need that we have in our lives. So we see here today the all-sufficient Savior. He is the all-sufficient Savior. No one else is all-sufficient like Jesus. No one comes close. That's why we sang today, what a friend we have in Jesus, and oh, how I love Jesus. He is the all-sufficient Savior. So let's stand together. I'm going to read these verses to you, starting in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 14, and we'll read through verse, I think through verse 22 would be a good place for me to stop, but let's look at these verses as we see the all-sufficient Savior. You guys know this story. I, I, I don't need to read it. You, I, I read it just to set it before your eyes so you guys would know what we're going to talk about. But here it is. When Jesus heard of it, talking about the death of John the Baptist, which we talked about last week, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, mega crowd, and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. Verse 18 is my favorite verse in this passage. And he said, Bring them hither to me. You guys say, That's not much. Just wait. Just, Just wait. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up into heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all, all sufficient. They did all eat and were filled, satisfied, sufficient. And they took up the fragments that were remained, the leftovers, and there were 12 baskets full. And and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men. And that's not counting, beside women and children. I'm going to say this several times, but it's as, as low as 15,000 and as much as 30,000 people. Verse 22. 
And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent this big crowd multitude away. So let's pray together, and we're going to look at today, and you need to see this today, just how sufficient Jesus is in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the all-sufficient Savior. I'm thankful that as we go through this book and we've went verse by verse that we've come to this one today. This is what our church needs to hear. No, 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 this is what I needed to hear this week. This is what we all need to hear, that there is only one all-sufficient Savior that is capable, able to meet every single need in our lives. From the smallest to the biggest, he can meet every need. There's nothing beyond him. And we thank you for that. Help us to see him very, very, very clear today. And not just to see him, but thank him for all that he's done for us. And if we have a need today, to run to him as fast as we can. And ask him to be our all-sufficient Savior. So God, help us today. Help me today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There's several names of God that are given in the Old Testament. And I love that we, we went through a series in Sunday school with Johnny on the names of God. And you can go through, and there's just name after name after name. And these names show us the character and the nature of God. Who He is and what He's like. And each name, and I, I love that about God, because one name is not enough for our God. He is so big, so grand, so great, so beyond our imaginations, that when He reveals Himself, He has to use multiple names so that we'll truly understand who He is. So we see in His names uh, the character of God, the, the nature of God, who He is, and what He's like. And we would only know that if God was uh, revealing Himself to us. And one of my favorite names, I say all that to say this, one of my favorite names of God in the, in the Old Testament was Jehovah-Jireh. And that's an old Hebrew name. I love that. The Almighty does what? The Lord will provide. What a name. The Lord will provide. I, I love that. And this is, this is who He is. Our God is by His nature and by His character a God who provides for His people. And we see that through all, throughout Scripture, that it is His nature, His heart, to be a providing God. To be an open-handed God, meeting the needs of His people. An all-sufficient God. That's who He is. And I'll give you some examples here. Let me just give you a couple. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and they realized they were naked. And when God found them, what did He do for them? He provided for them. He provided a sacrifice for their sins and clothes for their bodies. He provided for them. That's who He is. That's what our God does. He provided. I can go even further. Abraham on the mountain as he was about to sacrifice his only son. And he looked over and he was stopped. And he said, do not do your son any harm. For God has provided a sacrifice. In his greatest need, God provided. In Adam and Eve's greatest need, God provided. Moses in the wilderness with the people of Israel, and they're gone for 40 years in this wilderness, in this desert. And how are they going to take care of themselves? They have a God who provides for them. They had manna, manna they had water, they had meat, they had clothes. Anything that they needed, their God provided. He's a God who provides for His people. I got another one. You want another one? Yeah, you do. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. My, the Lord is my shepherd and I'll never be without. The Lord is my shepherd and I will never lack of any good, any good thing. We have a God. How can he, he say the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want? Because he has a God who provides for his every need. Even David would go on saying, I, I'm an old man and I've lived a long life and I've never seen the righteous go begging for bread. 
He is a God who provides. So you had Adam and Eve, and they had a need. And guess what? God met that need. You, and, and there's more than this. This is just the good ones. Abraham on the mountain had a need. God provided that need. Moses in the wilderness, God provided. David, God provided. And that's good news because you and, and me, we're all a bunch of needy people. Every one of us, from the smallest things in our lives, the daily bread that we need. And isn't that uh, the, the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. That's the smallest thing that we need. And guess who is sufficient to provide for that need? Our God is. The daily bread. I can go even further. The big needs, the life and death things, that when we have a health issue and we're going to the doctor, guess who is sufficient to heal our bodies if he so pleases? Our God can meet that need. That's, that's good news. And then we have the biggest need that every single one of us have, the need of salvation. And God has provided for us his only begotten son. To meet the greatest need that every single one of us would ever have. I'm going to say it now. I'm going to say it later. He has done everything in preparation. In providing that need. And it's sufficient for everybody in this room. In the world. In every generation. In planets beyond our imagination. Oh what a provision he made in Jesus. He is an all sufficient Savior. And Jesus came in. It's not just Old Testament. I'm going to preach a little bit today. It's not just in the Old Testament. Jesus comes in, shows up on the scene, and what does he say? Because that's Old Testament. That's Jehovah Jireh. And then Jesus shows up, and he makes these big, grand statements. Things like, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger. He says, I am the living water. You drink of me, you'll never be thirsty again. He's saying, I'm all sufficient. He shows up, and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I take care, good care of my sheep. I'll, I'll give you another one. I love this statement. If you don't think Jesus is, is comparing himself or, or, or telling them who he is, you've got another thing coming. He says, watch this, John 6. He says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. <laughs> this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and never die. And then he goes on. You say, what bread is that? Look what he says. I am the living bread. He says, which came down from heaven, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Jesus is telling them, telling us, that he is the all-sufficient Savior. And you say, okay, he makes a big statement like that, but he's going to have to prove it. He comes in and says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the living water, I'm the good shepherd. If you eat of me, if you take of me and receive me, you'll never die. Prove it, Jesus. Prove it, Jesus. Prove it. Those are big words. You're going to have to back it up with big actions. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus says, you, you want to see action? Let me show you that I'm the all-sufficient Savior. You want to see it? Let's see it. So right here is a living picture in bold, in all caps, of who he is and what he can do. I love this. He's going to give them a feast in the wilderness. You say, where's the wilderness? A desert place. It says it twice. We move from Herod in a temple in a drunken feast where he only cares about himself. And the very next scene is a completely different kind of king who's in a wilderness and is feeding the multitudes. What a picture. Unlike anything we've ever seen before. So we see here without a doubt. Jesus is just proving with this picture. With this story. With this miracle. He is the all sufficient. Totally sufficient. Completely sufficient savior. 
who is able to meet every single need in your life. Every need. From the biggest need of salvation down to the lowliest need of daily bread. He can meet that need. To the point where Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus, the all-sufficient Savior. So let's walk through this miracle today. I want you to see it maybe with, with new eyes as you look at this and see who he is and what he is able to do. So let's look at it. Starting with point number one, I want to show you the incredible care that we see, the, the incredible compassion that we see in, in, in Jesus here in verse 13 and 14. As, as he says in verse 13, let's just work our way through this story. The incredible care is point number one. When Jesus heard of it, you see that there in verse 13, when he heard of the, the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, his, his friend, uh, he, he, he hears about the death, the beheading of, G, of John that we saw last week. What does he do? This is upsetting news. So it says in verse 13, when Jesus heard of that news, verse 12, they tell him, verse 13, he hears it and he gets in a ship and he leaves to a desert place. Into a desert place apart. He leaves. He's getting away. I call this the escape. Herod is after him, but he's not escaping because of Herod. His friend has died, and he wants to go off alone and mourn and pray. This is the escape. And this is important. You say, why are you telling us this? Usually people don't talk about this part of the story when they're feeding the 5,000. This is Jesus wanting to get away to a private place, a desert place, get away alone with just him and his disciples, almost like a vacation, almost in secret. He wants to be by himself. He doesn't want to be around the crowd anymore right now. He's mourning over a friend. He wants to be with his disciples, and he wants to, to, to pray unto his father. He wants to be by himself right now. He wants to get away. He wants to rest. But the crowd doesn't let him get away. You see that? It says he goes to the desert place apart. And when the people heard it, <laughs> they heard Jesus was coming to town. And look what they did. They followed him on foot out of all their cities. They hear about Jesus coming. And there's so much excitement that some are running and others are walking after Jesus. It's like they gather their families and say, a celebrity's coming to town and we've got to go find him. We've got to go see him. We've got to be around this man. So they, they gather their wife and their kids and they, they go running to wherever Jesus is and they find him in the wilderness and there are thousands of people. And again, I'm going to say it several times, it's not the feeding of 5,000, it's minimum 15,000. You say, how can you get that? It says women and children. Uh, so there's men, 5,000. And if each man brought their wife, that's 10,000. And if each family had at least one kid, if my math is right, that puts us at 15,000. And if every family was like me and Steph, this crowd just keeps getting bigger. I mean, can you imagine that? Every man, a wife, and four or five kids. So this crowd could be as much as 30,000 people. And it's not even talking about singles that are there, a single woman or a single man. This crowd is, is and the Greek word is mega. It's huge. They're following Jesus. And Jesus looks out over this crowd. And I love this. He sees them. He's on vacation. He wants to be alone. He's trying to escape. He's trying to mourn. He wants to pray. Everybody needs some rest. Even the Son of God. He goes away. And then he sees the crowd. 
And what does he see? You see that in verse 14? Jesus went forth and he saw the multitude. He looked out over them. Think about this crowd. This is the way I, I mean, and I, and I did this this week. I wanted to look out over our crowd and think, not nameless faces. He looked into their eyes. He saw who they were. He saw what they were going through. And there were so many needs in that crowd. There was sickness. There was depression. There were fears. There were worries. There were demons. There were marriage problems. There were wayward children. There were people wondering where they were going to get their next meal from. And they were all in this crowd of fifteen to 30,000 people. And Jesus looked out over this crowd. And he could have easily said, not today. He could have easily said, my friend just died. He could have easily said, Herod is after me. And if a crowd follows me, they'll find me. He could have easily said, I need to pray. He could have easily said, get away, this is my day off. But he looked at the crowd. He saw the needs. And we need to do that in our churches today. Not just here, but as a pastor when I preach. I need to remember that there are a multitude of needs around this room. There are people coming from all types of places. And there could be depression and fears and worry and anxiety and concern. And there could be the marriage problem and children problem. And, and there could be people in this room right now who don't know how they're going to get their next meal. And we need to look at them the same way Jesus looks at them. And not just in this church, but as we look out over our community, we need to look at them the same way Jesus will look at our community. He doesn't just see a, a nameless crowd. He sees their needs. And what does he do? I love this. He sees them and was, you, you get this? You, you, you see that? I mean, for me, this next statement jumps out of the page at me. That as he sees their needs, he was moved with compassion. That word compassion jumps off the page. It means, I've got half a page of notes I want to give you on this. It literally means he felt deeply for them in the pit of his stomach. I don't know if you guys have ever hurt down deep. His heart goes out to them. He feels. He has emotions. He's engaged. He's touched at the depth of his being. His stomach is knotted up. He has butterflies in his belly. That's, that's what this word means. It, it's butterflies down in, in your bowels is what it's talking about. This shows us, this one word, compassion, shows us that our Savior is not cold. He's not impersonal. He's not indifferent. He's not a robot redeemer. He's not a stoic Savior. He's not like the Greek gods who were above it all and didn't care about their people. He is a Savior who cares. We want a Savior who cares about us. And it's not that crowd. Do you understand that? He's looking down at us today. And He cares. His heart goes out to you today. As we go through a pandemic, He looks down at us. And in our fears, in our worries, in our sickness, His heart goes out to His people. He's not up there saying, I don't care. I know, but I don't care. He cares. His heart goes out to His people. He sees the needs of mankind and he deeply cares. And this compassion 
I, I like this part. I want to move on. He, he felt compassion toward them. Do you see that? There's often times that we look out at people and say, I see it a lot. I feel for them. People, people will have a loved one pass away. And I'll look at Seth and I'll say, boy, I feel for them. I feel for them. But it's not real compassion if it doesn't move you to do something for them. Look what he does. And you've got to see this. And Jesus went forth and saw the multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. We can look out over our community and say, oh, I feel so deeply for them. There's so much drugs, there's so much alcohol, there's so much sickness, there's so much death, there's so much financial struggles, people need food, people need jobs, people need clothes, people need, people need, people need, but we don't truly feel for them until we try to help them. And I'll say this, we look out and we see a lost nation, we see a lost community, we see them drifting so far from God that it's like God's abandoning them, and we sit there and say, oh, I'm moved, oh, I'm moved. But until we take the gospel to them, we don't really care about them. And that's what he does here. God's giving me sound effects right now. Do you hear the thunder? I mean, that, that's just amen from heaven. <laughs> you don't do it. So if the people don't cry out, the thunder will. I dare not say the thunder rolls. <laughs> that was bad. Gracie's rolling her eyes at me. But watch what he does. He heals their sick. And the other gospel account says he does two things. His compassion moved him to action. Our compassion must move us to action. But he walked among them. It wasn't like he just stood up in front of them and said, Be healed, everybody. He walked among them one by one, person by person, and he healed their sick. He got to know them. You say, how do you know it took him a long time? Because the very next verse says it got very, very late. He spent all day with them. He walked through the crowd of 15,000. There's a crowd of, of 30,000. And, and he was almost like, like, like me this morning as, as the children walked in. And those kids would look up at me and they'd say, Hey, Josh, or hey, preacher. And she'd say, Hey, Uncle Preacher. And, and, and they, they would sit there and they'd show me their things. And, and I'd say, what, do you, what, do you, what do you got going on right now? What do you, and, and that's what he was doing, going through talking to the kids and, and talking, What's your problem? What's your need? Well, what are you sick at? And he's getting to know them and he loves them. He's not just sitting there saying, Be healed, everybody but it's be healed one and be healed two and one at a time Jesus spent time with these people he's not a pastor who stays up here and is never around the people he is a shepherd who knows his sheep by name and he doesn't just the, the, the gospel of Mark says he healed them and he taught them because we're not social workers who only help people we must be preachers who preach the gospel to people you got to do both. I see some people who say, preach, 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 and never help anybody. They preach, but they don't care. And you see other people who care, love, help, clothes, food, but they never share the gospel. Jesus had a perfect balance of healing and helping and preaching the gospel to them. Of meeting the physical and the spiritual needs. That's true compassion. And he did all this on his day off. <laughs> Is that not what I've titled this point, incredible care? 
So it got late, and I'm going to move you to point number two. It got late, it says there in verse 15. So now I want to show you, go from the incredible care to the impossible need. Look with me in verse 15. And when the evening was come, it got late. That's kind of, you know, Jesus was teaching, Jesus was healing, and just like a normal preacher, he got long-winded and went too long. And it got late, and it got dark, and, and that's what's going on there. And they're out in the wilderness, it says, and, and they're in the desert place. And you know what that means? If you're out in the desolate wilderness, that means there's no market to go buy food at. There's no, if your kids are here today, there's no McDonald's drive through anywhere. You're out in no man's land. There's no place to get anything. It's getting late. It's getting dark. There's fifteen to 30,000 people there, and their bellies are all starting to growl, and they have no place to get any food. That's what it's saying here, and that creates a problem. There are thousands of hungry people on a hillside, hungry, again, hungry. If that's not a problem, I don't know what is. In my house, if four hungry people are there starving to death, it's a problem. That's four. There's nothing to eat here. Let's go to McDonald's. Four hungry people can drive me and Steph mad. Can you imagine 30,000 hungry people? And they're complaining, just like Israel in the wilderness. They're grumbling. He's got us up here, feed, feed, he's got us up here and, he's, and he's healing us and he's teaching us. But I'm hungry. I'm starving to death. I've not had anything since breakfast. That's my kids. I'm starving. You ate an hour ago. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Complain, complain, complain. Thousands of people on a hillside in the wilderness starving to death. And his disciples come to him. This is so good. They see the people, same people Jesus sees. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. And the time is now past. So here's their advice. And I want you to see their heart in this. <laughs> see their heart compared to Jesus' heart. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and fend for themselves. You see that? Send them away, Jesus. Go let them get their own. Let, let it be every man for himself. Be careful if your first response to people's needs are send them away. Be careful if your first response to people's needs, and I've seen churches this way, bums, druggies, Sinners, alcoholics, send them away. And when they do that, they're just like the disciples, when they do that, you want to look at them and say, your heart's showing. And your heart's showing that you ain't nothing like Jesus. Because Jesus didn't send them away. That's what the disciples were. Jesus had to, had to teach them this because the disciples were continually sending people away. The children come to Jesus. And they looked at him and said, send them away. No, 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 suffer little children and let them come. This ain't even in my notes. The disciples were pushing people away. Jesus was always inviting people to come. Our churches must be like Jesus, inviting people to come and not pushing people away. That's who Jesus was. And here is a lesson for them. He's telling them, you must feel for people like I feel for people. 
And Jesus says, <laughs> this is just such a good story. Verse 15, they said, go away, send him away. And Jesus said, verse 16, but Jesus said unto them, they don't need to depart. <laughs> you give them something to eat. And in, in, the, in the Greek, that ye, the give ye them to eat, is the first word, which means it's emphatic. It, he's, he's almost bolding it, saying, no, you give them something to eat. I would love for there to have been a video camera there to see the disciples' faces when he said that. Don't send them away. You feed them. Looking at the 12, you do it. You feed 30,000 people. Can you imagine Peter saying, whoa, <laughs> us? How? You do it. He's trying to teach them compassion. And the disciples come back and they have an excuse. I can teach on this too. Excuses and negativity. People who always give excuses for why it can't be done. Instead of going out and getting it done. People who are always negative. You look at them and say, let's do this. It won't work. <laughs> there's people like that I mean you'll run into that in churches I mean, there's always those, those who are positive and they'll look at you and say yeah I think you can do it and there's other people on the other side that'll sit there and say it can't be done no way and the disciples here are, are that kind of people it can't be done look what they say I don't know if that's a wah wah I don't know where that came from I'm glad I can't look at Tommy right now but Jesus said unto them, verse 16, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, <laughs> We've only got five loaves and two fishes. The other stories say they got it from a little boy somewhere that had his lunch bag, and all he had was five crackers and a couple sardines. I've looked up pictures. I think I gave the kids a picture of the bread and the fish, and it looked like loaves, you know, like something you'd get at Food City. Big old fish. Like something Roger would catch. But that's not what it was. Crackers and sardines. And they say a miracle within a miracle is they got a little boy to give up his food. But they look at him and say, this is all we got, Jesus. This is it. What do you, you said feed them? This is what I have. And what they're saying there is, and, and this is a great point, because you have to get here before you'll ever get to the miracle. There has to be an impossible before Jesus makes it possible. So here they look and they have this in their hands. Five rolls and two fish. Five crackers and, and two sardines. Amen. And they look at Jesus and they say, it can't be done. This cannot feed 30,000 people. And you look, you look at it too, and I would too. If I, if I had, I mean, imagine that, if I had five crackers and two sardines sitting up here in my hand, I'd say, we're going to feed 30,000 people with this right here. Everybody in here would say, it can't be done, Josh. I would say that. And that's what they say. They're at their breaking point right here. They're saying, we can't. It's impossible. It can't be done. There's nothing humanly possible that can be done with five crackers and two sardines. And yes, that's exactly where they need to be. We can't do it. That's where we all need to be. 
We can't do it. He wants us to get there. Because until we get to the impossible, He won't make it possible. We can't do it. We can't do it. And look what He says. Any problem that gets us to the point where we say, we can't do it, is a blessing. We are at a point now in America, this is where we all are saying, we can't do it. We've been trying for generations to do it. But now, look where we are. We can't do it. We're just a handful of churches in a nation that is descending at breakneck speed. We can't do it. But look what he says. Look at verse 18. Look down. He says, give it to me. Do you see that? Give it to me. When you see that we can't, We give it to the one who can. They take their problem, the impossible problem, and they are handing it over into his capable hands. We can't do it. I can give you a list of things that we can't do. Get this. We can't save ourselves. So we take our soul and our sin and we hand it to the one who can I can't be good enough. I can't work hard enough. I'll never get my sins forgiven. I can't do it. Guess who can? Jesus saves. You've got to get to the point where you say, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I can't be smart enough. I can't be baptized. I can't go be a church member. I can't do it. But He can. That's salvation. Handing my soul over the one who's capable of saving it. I can't. Be a pastor of a church. The second that I start thinking I can, I'm in the wrong place. I love, I don't don't love it. It kills me some days to, to the burdens of a church that drives me to my knees to say I can't do it. But he can. I can't be the husband that I want to be. And the second I realize that, is the second I understand He can. He can help me. I can't be the father I want to be. Oh, I want to be the good father. I want my kids. I, I was praying for them earlier this week. I want them to be saved. I want them to have godly spouses. I want, I want them to grow up in a, in, a, in a society that has no convictions, no principles, and don't stand for anything. And I want my kids to have convictions. I want them to have principles. I want them to stand for the Word of God in a world that's falling down literally on their knees. To stand and say, we bow to no one but Jesus. That's what I want my kids to be. And and as I pray for them, I say, I can't do it. I fail. Give them to His capable hands. Look at that verse. Bring them to me. I could go on. We go out and preach the gospel. Guess what? We can't save a soul. I heard a preacher say the other day, oh, you better get it right when you share the gospel. Their soul's in your hands. It's, if it's in my hands, it's in big trouble. Big trouble. I can't save anybody. I can't save none of you. People come and get counseling back there in my office, and, and I sit there and think, do they know who they're coming to? <laughs> I can't do it. Oh, but he can. What is it in your life that you look at right now and say, oh, I can't do it? I can't fix my marriage. He can. I can't get my kids on track. He can. 
Quit trying to do it yourself and fall on your faces and say, I can't, but you can. Bring it to me. I love that. I, I said at the start, that's my favorite verse. Bring it to me. In his hands, the impossible becomes, get this, in his hands, the impossible becomes possible, and, and better yet, it becomes probable when you give it to his hands. That's a great passage. So they bring it, the impossible problems, and they place it into the hands of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who not can, not the Lord who might, but the Lord who will provide. And that's my last point. You've seen his incredible care. You've seen the impossible need. I want to show you now the inexhaustible supply. And for the kids that are riding out inexhaustible, I'm sorry. I had to Google it. <laughs> Look what he does. Bring it to me. I've highlighted that. I've got a star beside of that. He said, bring them hither to me. If they had tried to do it on their own, they would have failed miserably. They would have broke those little crackers into the tiny little crumbs. The world's crumbs doesn't satisfy. Verse 19. I call this the orderly preparation. Because he doesn't just, he's not just willy-nilly throwing things around. That's not how God works. Look what he does. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Disciples, go tell everybody to sit down. Can you imagine the disciples going out and saying, Jesus wants you to sit down. Why? I don't know. Just sit down. Mark says that he set them down in, in groups of 50 to 100, like a flower bed, so that they could walk through the crowd. So they're not all on top of each other. They're social distancing. <laughs> 50 over here, 50 over here. You could walk down aisles. You could walk this way. And they're all spread out, 30,000 people uh, upwards of. And they're each one in 50 to 100. So he has them all sit over here and sit over here and sit over here and they're in groups and he's got them all, all orderly and they're sitting there saying, why are you doing this? Why do you want us to sit down? Why do you want us in groups? What's going to happen? I only see five crackers and two sardines. What are you doing? What's going on? Just obey Jesus even if you don't understand. Just do what he says. I don't get it. Just do it. And that's what they do. Orderly fashion. Just obey and hang on. Because <laughs> here it goes. So he gets them in order, sitting on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And I'm going to get somewhere here that's just going to blow your mind. And he takes the, the five loaves and the two fishes, and he looks up into heaven, and he blessed God. We don't bless the food, we bless God for the food. He thanks God for the food. You say, what food? Five, five crackers and two sardines? The disciples, as he, as he lifts up his eyes to the heavens, and they're sitting there bowing their head, they're probably looking at each other like, what's he doing? What's going on? What's he going to do with five crackers and, and two sardines? And then he, he prays, he blessed it, he break it. And he gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. You say, well, that's about as simple as it gets, ain't it? 
Yeah, there's so much simplicity there. I think the miracle is hidden. There's no fanfare. There's no trumpet. There's no snapping of the finger. There's no waving of the hand. There's no food. And that's what I would have done, right? Ain't that what you would have done? I, I would have wanted fanfare. I would have wanted applause. You know? You'd up there and you put on a cape and, and you say, you know, abracadabra. And you, and you perform this and, and you say, food in everybody's plate. And, and the disciples don't even have to go out and do anything, right? That's not how he works. He just passes it out. And you say, where does a miracle take place? I love this. The miracle takes place not in the baskets, not in the hands of the disciples. The miracle takes place in the hands of the all-sufficient Savior. That's where the miracle takes place. You say, what do you mean by that? When it says that he's breaking it, it's a continuous action, a, a multiplying action. So he has the five crackers and he has the two sardines and he's sitting there and he's breaking it. And as he's breaking it, he's taking it and putting it in baskets. And as the baskets come, every time they come back, he'll fill this basket and he'll fill this basket and he'll fill this basket. And they keep going out and they keep coming back. And it's more and it's more and it's more and it's more. And he's creating. Creating the creator of heaven and earth is creating the greatest bread they've ever tasted and the greatest fish they've ever had. He's creating in the power of his hands. When you hand the impossible over to him, he makes it probable with the power of his hands. Oh, what hands the Savior has! All sufficient. Every time they came back, they'd say, And there's more. And there's more, and there's more, and there's more. He just kept creating in his hands. Oh, what hands the Savior has. Give it to him. That's what we do when we give our lives to him. And he keeps molding and making and working. He's still a working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make all that. But oh my, he's still working on me. In his hands. Oh, what hands. Is that not wonderful? The multiplying, creating, continuous miracle that he's making. If I was the disciples, I'd sit there and just want to watch. Where'd that come from? That was a cracker. And now it's filling a basket. And fall down at his feet and worship. My Lord and my God. How much did he make? <laughs> and again, I've said it, but that bread was better than Panera. That fish was better than Captain George's. Right? What did he make? How much did he make? Verse 20. And they did all eat. And they were filled. So much that they all were full. Every one of them in the crowd got as much as they wanted. During the pandemic, we didn't know how long we'd be in the house. We thought they might shut things down. I put me and Steph and the kids on a food limit. That lasted about an hour. We're, we're going we're gonna to really be, watch this out. You know, we're, we're trying to, to space it all out. This is going to last us two weeks. It lasted two hours. You know, just, just, just. my boys kept coming back. I'm, I'm hungry. 
And, and there's kids out there in this crowd, and they kept saying, I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. And they'd bring the baskets back, and they'd be more, and they'd be more. And he kept feeding them because they were hungry. And he filled them until they said, oh, I couldn't eat another bite. The little boys, the little girls, the moms and the dads ate as much as they wanted. That word field, tortazo in the Greek, is a word for the feed, feeding trough of an animal. If they just throw food in the feeding trough, then they would eat until they couldn't eat no more. Blessed are the hunger, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be field, same word. Totally and fully satisfied. And the eaters, that's what that last verse says, and the eaters in the Greek were 5,000 men beside the women and children. Upwards of 30,000 people with full bellies. Do you not think that he is the all-sufficient Savior? They just had a feast in the desert. Amazing. And get this. What's the leftovers? And they took up the fragments that were left, remained, and they were 12, you've heard, you all heard this before, 12 baskets full. How many disciples were they? Anybody 12? How many baskets were they left? 12. So those disciples who in their hands said, we can't do it. This is all we have. Got more out of it than the people they served. They got a whole basket full. They started out with nothing. They had to get food from a little boy. I thought about that. A couple things here. He could have fed on his own, but he chose to use the disciples. God always works through means. He can save anybody he wants to save at any time he wants to save them. But he uses us to get the gospel to them. We are the means to accomplish his end. He could feed everybody in Big Stone Gap, but do you know what? He uses us and the meals of love to accomplish that need. He could clothe everybody in Big Stone Gap if he wanted to. Just say, clothes, and they'd have clothes. Brooks Brothers, probably. Just say, clothes. But he doesn't do that. He uses us to, to meet the need of clothes. Again, he could take the gospel, he could write it on the sky that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And if you believe in him, you'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll escape hell and enter into heaven. He could be on the sky every morning with big flashing lights for the whole world to see. But God chooses to use us to accomplish that end. He chose to use the disciples. Praise God, he uses us. And get this, the ones he uses gets more out of it than the ones that he feeds. Who gets... <laughs> i gotta, I got to finish. Who gets more out of a sermon, you or me? I get more out of it than you do. It loads me up. You should see what goes on the cutting room table in my office. Of, I ain't got time for that. Yeah, you guys think, oh, he's got more. <laughs> I ain't got time for that. That'll be an hour and 10. That'll be an hour and 15. I can't say that. I can't go there. We'll hit that another time. And I'm sitting there feeding myself with the Word of God and just giving you the crumbs off the table. I mean, this is what I'm doing. I get more out of it than you do. And get this. I love this. Talk to the ladies who work in Meals of Love at this church. And they will tell you, maybe, maybe they'll disagree with me. 
But I've heard them say it. I think I get more out of it than the people we feed. This is a blessed ministry. That's what serving God does. You think it takes your time. You think it takes your effort. You think it takes all, all these things away from you. But in, in actuality, the more you give, the more you'll get back. If we just understand that, I have never given more than God has given back. Ever. I bet you I could give 90% of my income to God and I, He'd still give me back. You give your life away. Oh, it'll be all worth it. Ask any missionary, and I ain't got time. This, this should be on the cutting room table. Ask any missionary, was it worth it? You gave your whole life away. You, 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 you left and went into a jungle and you didn't even get to be with your, your family. Oh, he gave me so much more than I ever asked. Oh, it was, it was worth it. You can't outgive. Amazing. What does this prove? I've got five minutes. This miraculous display, which is unlike the world has ever seen, a creative miracle, a supernatural sovereign miracle that all gospel, all four gospel writers add. It's like Mark sitting down saying, yeah, I've got to put that in there. <laughs> this is unbelievable. And John said, oh, I've got to put this in there. I mean, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I've got to get this in there. Luke, I, I gotta get this in there. Matthew puts it puts a, a story in there twice. I gotta get this in there. I, I gotta I gotta tell this. Why? Because it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, without any ifs, ands, or buts, it's an open and shut case, undeniable. He is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. He is the Jehovah Jireh. He is the all-sufficient Savior who can provide for our smallest needs, our medium needs, our big needs, and oh, our biggest need of salvation. There's no need our Savior can't meet. And we ought to bow the knee to Him. And what do the crowds do? And I'll close. Verse 22, I told you I'd add that verse. And straightway, immediately... Fast, Jesus had to get in the ship. Why did he have to get in the ship? They flocked him. And this crowd, these in their 50s and 100s, they're they got up and they say, Wow, free health care, free food. He's our king. He'll overthrow Rome. That's who we want. Vote him in now. That's what they say. They flocked him. I mean, the, and, and, and it's all for the wrong reasons. And Jesus knows it. They wanted food, they wanted health, they didn't want salvation. They wanted the wrong things. It's superficial. It's shallow. It's worldly. They are not flocking him for the right reasons. And he knows their hearts. So he gets in a ship and leaves. That's going to lead us to him walking on water next week. Boy, you want to be here for that one. You say, well, what happened to that crowd? Watch this. Turn with me. I, I, I want you to go with me to John chapter 6. And I, I'm going to close. But I want you to see this. I can't read the whole thing. I can, but I won't. I'm going to take you to a place every sermon should go. Just to give you a summary, John 6, verses 1 through 15, is the feeding of, of 5,000, 30,000 in the Gospel of John. You see there, and these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him. In verse 2, they saw the miracles which he had done. You just work your way down through there, and he feeds the 5,000. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Uh, so you, you, you work your way through that. You can see that yourself. 
And then you see verse 41. I'm going to read this part. It says in verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him, not because of the bread that he gave them, but because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I am come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written, and I want to read this just to get you where we're going, that in the prophets, and they shall be all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. He's teaching the crowd. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, and he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life, and I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And I want to move on to verse 52 as, he, as he's teaching. And the Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? And he says, Verily I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as, as, as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the difficult teaching he's given them here. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your father did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And look, watch their reaction. Not to the bread but to his teaching. Many thereof of his disciples, when they heard this, heard this, said, this is a hard saying, and who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? That's soul number two in the parable of the souls. With excitement they received and over time, they become offended at him and walk away. Watch what it says. What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is a spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. There are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning, he knew their hearts, who were they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, I said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus looked at the twelve and said, Will you go away also? Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where on earth could we go? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And I'm going to close right here. And we believe and are sure Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter understood and got it right. They came to him for him. Crowds came to him for what he could give them. And they walked away offended. There was a man asked a preacher one time, what does Jesus offer that no other religion has? And the preacher looked back at him and said, 
himself. No other religion has Jesus, the all-sufficient Savior. So I'll look at you today, and I ask this really two simple questions, and I, I want you to, to answer it in your, in your own minds. What need do you have today? But you need to take it out of your hands and give it to him. I don't know what need you came in here with. I don't. Around this room, this is one of the best crowds we've had since the pandemic started. We went from me and Gracie and Roger to now we've got our, most of us, a lot of us back. So I ask you that question. What need are you bringing with you today that you need to take out of your hands and you need to place it in his hands? While we're going to have, I want to spend a few seconds praying here in a second, and you need to pray. Don't just sit there and mindless and, and listen to me pray. Whatever that need is that you have, you have a Savior who's all-sufficient, who can meet whatever need that is. From the smallest of things to the medium things to the largest of needs, He can meet that need. Our kids need to know that today. In a world that's fading fast, they need to know that there is a source of all-sufficiency that you can turn to. The world's crumbs cannot feed you. Turn to the all-sufficient Savior and give it to His hands. And He will. You say, I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't see how it's going to happen. I I'll give Him my little bit. And He'll turn it into very much. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month. Give it to Him. And see His sufficiency. Whatever it is, put it into His hands. And lastly, if you're here today and you're, you have the biggest need, which is salvation, that need has already been met for you in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. It is set, it's prepared, and all you have to do, if you come in today hungry for salvation, and you have to be hungry enough to reach up and receive it, you ought to come to Jesus, if you are still in your sin, an unbeliever, you ought to come to Jesus begging for him to save you. When my kids get hungry, that's what they do. They don't sit there and say, I'd like maybe you know, for you to give me some food, Dad. Give me food. That's how you come to Jesus. I am desperate. My soul hungers and thirsts for your righteousness. I must have it or I'll die. I must have it or I'll go to hell. Please feed my soul. I believe in Jesus. That's what it takes. Only in Him will you find full satisfaction for your soul. How do I have it? As we pray, you pray, I must have Jesus or I'll perish. It's as simple as it is. Cry out and He'll feed your thirsting and hungering of your soul. Cry out to Jesus. Let me read you one quote and I'll close. Richard Sibbs, an old Puritan, said, There is more grace in Christ than sin in us. There is more. I'll change it. Just quoting Josh here. There's more sufficiency in Christ than need in us. So bring whatever it is, whether it be your needs, small, medium, large, or your biggest need, salvation, and bring it to Him. And it's in His hands. It's untelling to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the bread of life that is the Lord Jesus Christ who come down out of heaven to feed our hungry souls. And I pray, God, today for the people who are unbelievers and may not be in this room, they may be on Facebook and they're listening to this and they know the depths of their soul, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're, they're empty. 
They've been trying to feed their souls off the crumbs of the world, and it's not been sufficient. I pray that right now, as we're praying, that they would cry out to you, feed my soul with the bread of life. I believe in Jesus. And God, I don't know the needs across this room of our, our people, the, the sheep of this church, but I pray that you'd meet those needs, that you'd care for them and watch over them every single day. And if there's one in here that needs clothes, God, I want to I give them clothes. If there's one in here that doesn't know where their next meal will come from, I'll buy them a meal. If there's needs in this room that need to be met, God, help us to meet it. We place our lives, we place our church, we place our country into the capable hands of the Almighty, the God who provides. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.